1: Doesn't appear that anybody came to blows in the two debates for statewide office on Monday. I guess that's a good thing, right? No blows, even if there was a lot of balderdash. (laughs) It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with my colleagues Laura Johnston, Leila Tassi, and Lisa Garvin. It's a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday.
2: Happy Tuesday. The sun's out.
1: The sun's out, and tomorrow it's actually supposed to be warm, not so much today. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's get going. With the federal government preparing to spend $66 billion on rail service in America, is Ohio likely to finally get a rail line connecting Cincinnati, Columbus, and Cleveland? Lisa, this is one of the most frustrating stories we've had in months.
2: And of course, rail advocates like All Aboard Ohio and other passenger rail advocates hope and really want to get this line. But the administration, the current administration in Columbus seems kind of cool to it. Mike DeWine didn't even talk about transportation at all during his State of the State address. And when he was asked about this money, he was noncommittal, quite frankly. So, and these are competitive grants. So, I mean, Ohio has to go after this money. It's there for them if they go after it. Um, And this is for something that's been talked about for at least a decade. They wanna do a new line from Cleveland to Columbus to Dayton to Cincinnati. It would be called the 3C and D line. It would make Cleveland and Cincinnati major hubs for passenger rail, and then they would expand existing Amtrak routes through northern Ohio. So... You know, the advocates have been fighting for this. Uh, Stu Nicholson, who's the executive director of All Aboard Ohio, says that he's afraid Ohio is going to get left behind. And other states like Pennsylvania are already in the planning stages to, you know, for lines to get this these federal grants. So, yeah, I mean, I think the legislature needs to get behind this, but it doesn't seem they are.
1: This is different from when John Kasich turned down, I think it was four hundred million that had been dedicated mm-hmm. to Ohio Rail because that had a big matching amount of money from Ohio. This is different. The federal government is saying, hey, we'll come to your state, we'll put down rail. We'll we'll actually build the line and get you going. And Mike DeWine is silent. And I also all the governor candidates are silent. Where is the the outrage of Democrats saying how can you not seek this this is this is a great thing for Ohio to finally connect it Columbus is what the largest city in America the second largest city in America without a rail line mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it, it, it's like it, this is crazy and and you know the the
2: Representative Michael Sheehy he's a Democrat from Toledo he sponsored a resolution last month that supports the Amtrak expansion but that resolution got zero traction in the legislature. I will say that it is bipartisan because his co-sponsor was Haraz Gunbari, who's a Republican from Perrysburg, who used to ride Amtrak when he was in D.C. So he can see the, you know, the benefits of this. But honestly, especially with Intel going down in New Albany, wouldn't you want a rail line between all the major cities of Ohio?
1: Well, is this just because this was Joe Biden's infrastructure package and we're controlled by Republicans in this state, and so they're not going to accept the money because it becomes from a Democrat? Is that is that really the rub? It certainly seems that way, doesn't it? <laughs> Wow, that is really cutting off your nose despite your face. Mike DeWine, John Cranley, Nan Whaley, everybody else who's running for statewide office this year, where are you? Speak up. Why are we not getting the money that they want to give to us to increase rail service? You're listening to Today in Ohio. Did anyone win Monday's debate among Democratic candidates seeking to be Ohio's next U.S. Senator? how about the republican debate laura like i said at the top the best thing you could say about this is they didn't come to fisticuffs
3: that's right there's no slap unlike at the (laughs) oscars so i guess we'll start with the republicans first i mean obviously these candidates have had a hard time differentiating themselves the entire race and i think that's why it's gotten so ugly and that was even a question during the debate like what do you think about the tenor of the race going forward and they basically shrugged and said that's politics and uh, they did talk about some substantive stuff. They talked about Rick Scott's proposal for middle class and lower class um, tax increases. And some people agreed with those. Mandel hadn't even read it, which I thought was funny. But uh, it was still, still Trump well, a lot of not. time. It's and it's they not. all said...
1: But but he said he didn't read it, but he lies with everything that comes out of his <laughs> mouth. So he he may have been trying to impress the crowd by saying, I didn't pay attention, which is a weird How way to impress impressive. people by saying I'm an idiot. But I'm not sure I believe him that he hasn't read it. And, and why wouldn't he speak up against it, saying, why on earth would you tax the middle and lower class?
3: Right, which a lot of people did. But Gibbons and Dolan said they generally agree with that plan, which it's like... Okay. I mean, you look at look at who they're courting. I mean, I mean, Mike Gibbons has made his whole platform based on being a, a big businessman and making money. So um,
1: Here's the thing, though, early on in the debate, Karen Kasler asked them, was the election stolen? Mm-hmm. And almost all of them looked into the camera, knowing that it's complete fiction, what was going to come out of their mouths and said it was stolen. That's just a lie. They're, they're seeking to be one, a member of one of the most exclusive clubs in the world, the U.S. Senate, and they're looking into the camera at the voters and flat out lying.
3: What right. Is, be- All they want is a Trump endorsement, and they've been jockeying for that for months. And the only person who's not is Matt Dolan, who said it's not stolen. He says he thinks Joe Biden is a failure as president, but he said he believes he's the rightful president. And you're right. Every other person is trying to get that Trump endorsement, trying to appeal to those people who think that the election was stolen and and lying.
1: It's amazing that that telling that kind of lie is how they're attracting voters. You would think that the voters would run away from somebody that looks into their eyes and flat out lies to them. And yet all of them, except for Dolan, Told the big lie. What happened with the Democratic debate? That was more sane.
3: <laughs> it's more sane. And you don't have as many people, right? I don't think Tim Ryan's overly worried about Morgan Harper. She's an attorney who previously worked at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And she's from Columbus. She zoomed in on what she called Ryan's shortcomings, uh, focused on, on who he accepted money for during his time as in the office, including First Energy and West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. But Ryan was generally unapologetic about his record. He kept trying to talk about how the United States could compete with China, because I think that's what he thinks his base wants to hear. And activist and tech executive Tracy Johnson of Columbus also participated in this debate, which was at noon, which I think we all like better than a late-night debate at Central State University.
1: Well, at least the Democrats did not tell the big lie. You wonder if the right. Republicans could conceivably be charged with part of the big conspiracy to overthrow the government. By, by seeking to undermine the legitimate election of Joe Biden, are they committing a crime? I mean, there, there's certainly a record. The, the thing's on video. You can watch it on YouTube. They look into the camera. They outright lie about the election of Joe Biden. It's a it's a stirring moment that we're numb to because of all the years of the Trump presidency. But we shouldn't stand for that kind of falsehood.
3: Right. Remember when PolitiFact was a big deal? And if you got a Pants on Fire rating, it was like really bad for your campaign because you were basically called a liar. And now it's like it's a point of pride to basically stand up there and repeat false talking points because you're just going after that base
1: interesting that you bring that up because josh mandel was our pants on fire king (laughs) the first time he ran for the senate and those lies i think are what cost him that race and that wasn't
3: that long ago that things have changed that much
1: yeah it's more than a decade it's all pre-trump post-trump the truth doesn't seem to matter for the candidates running for the u.s senate in ohio you're listening to today in ohio Is the Collinwood neighborhood in Cleveland about to become a food desert with the closing of a grocery store? Layla, this is distressing news for the Collinwood neighborhood, and they have been very vocal about it on things like Reddit.
0: Yes, it it does appear that they very well may be... uh Becoming a, a, a food desert. On, on April 30th, Dave's Markets is going to close its store on Lakeshore Avenue in Collinwood, across the street from the historic Euclid Beach Archway. After more than 30 years in that location, Dave's, which operates seven other stores in the city of Cleveland, isn't publicly citing a reason for the closure. But Councilman Mike Polensik told reporter Bob Higgs that he learned during a briefing with city officials and folks from Dave's corporate that it's because of low sales volume. Grocery stores typically operate at a very slim profit margin of just about 1% to 3%. And people who were already low income pre pandemic had to tighten their belts even further. So buying habits changed during the pandemic. Purchasing declined, especially when you consider that the cost of gasoline and utilities had gone up. So Polencek is understandably very upset by the closure. The neighborhood has one of the highest concentrations of elderly and people and disability anywhere in Cleveland, and this could very well create a food desert situation for them. And Polensic is concerned about the domino effect on other businesses that depended on traffic that was going to Dave's. So it could be just sort of a uh, worst-case scenario.
1: You know, Dave's has been a very beneficial in, uh, business in Cleveland. They've they've done they've gone where other stores haven't. Um, they've, they've invested in, in Cleveland neighborhoods. And I was struck in Bob's story by all the hand-wringing by Justin Bibb and Polentzik and and others instead of coming to the rescue because I believe you might have been covering City Hall when the city prov- was talking about providing a million-dollar subsidy to get a grocery store into a Cleveland food desert. Why aren't they talking to Daves about, hey, what would it take to keep you here? How can we help keep you here? Because now... Polentic and company will be scrambling to find somebody else to come in when they already have somebody. Was there any effort made to preserve? I don't know. That's a
0: really good question. And it's, it's a question ripe for follow up on our, on our half on our, um, you know, our staff is going to be following up with that in the coming days to try to figure out, uh, you know, what else, I mean, I did, Justin Bibb put out a statement that, that did slightly intimate that, his team is putting heads together around a strategy to keep grocers from, from fleeing the city. But, you know, is it's too late for Dave's. <laughs> um, or is
1: it? I mean, if you really do a Herculean effort, I, I mean, look, they gave a million bucks to, to the one five years ago. If you said to Dave's, hey, could we sign a contract with you to stay if we give you some subsidy for, for five years or something? You know, they might stay. There, The other fact that I thought was interesting because people were speculating – that the store had suffered a great deal of mm. theft but Bob's story said that Dave's did not talk about theft as a reason right. for this this really was about the drop in sales yeah
0: there were some on, on on Reddit, which is where we kind of first heard that th- this tip to begin with people were speculating as you said that that theft was the reason that there were just too much too many products out the door without you know and that that was does not appear to be the case here that that is just pure speculation and unfounded and that it really is just a matter of people, you know, as their shopping habits have changed during the pandemic and they are just not not shopping at Dave's the way they once did. And and more specifically that they might be buying their their meat products and their basics and their staples at Dave's but buying their paper products and other things at other places where, you know, the the, the kind of in bulk at, at discount places. Um, and that sort of thing. So,
1: Mike Palancic is not a shrinking violet. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised he has not come charging in saying, we must rescue this. Maybe there's something going on in the background. We'll mm-hmm. have to see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, I left this story to fourth because it is so depressing. Did the Ohio Redistricting Commission meet the Supreme Court deadline for the fourth run at producing fair legislative maps? Lisa, the bums did it again.
2: They did meet the deadline, but it was really <laughs> it was a despicable process. So let's kind of set up a timeline here. So they were working like crazy. They had two independent map makers that were working like crazy and actually being live streamed while they were working to get these maps done. So they shared a laugh a draft of the House map yesterday afternoon about five o'clock. It was still a work in progress. What that map looked like was that GOP you know districts that the GOP would get 55 of 99. House seats. Six of them would be competitive. Three would lean Democratic. Three would lean Republican. But Senator Matt Huffman produced a map about 10 o'clock or 1030 that, that was pretty similar to the one that the Ohio Supreme Court rejected back on March 16th. This was a map that he said That was a parachute meant to ensure that they met the deadline last night. But he decided to go with this backup map on Saturday, said nothing, and didn't produce it publicly until yesterday evening. Yeah,
1: this is a cynical move by the Republicans to try and get the federal court to take over the process. The Supreme Court ordered them to get their own mapmakers. So the commission together did that. They were working toward it. Mike DeWine said, we're going to get this done and then at the 11th hour, they pulled the fast one. Mike DeWine voted for this. He didn't mm-hmm. say, no, Matt Huffman, we're not going to corrupt the process. We're not going to be sleazy here. Let's finish the process. He voted for this. Just, I mean, it just shows you what he's made of. He does not care what the Constitution says. He is playing full politics, hoping for a save in the federal court. I hope they get cited with contempt.
3: Can we I... just break this down a little bit more? I mean, the idea that they didn't want to miss the deadline when how many times did they miss the deadline in the in the past? Like, it's just so cynical that they had, it, like, plotted. I mean, I feel like the Supreme Court put in every guardrail it could. It said, this is how you get it done. We're going to do it in public. You're going to hire outside mapmakers. And behind the scenes, we have these Republicans just, I could just see them nefariously twiddling their fingers, right. like, how are we going to get around mm-hmm. this one? And literally the 11th hour. Like, can you, I mean, like 11 o'clock before the midnight deadline, this is what they pull out. Like, I I don't know how every Ohioan is not completely outraged.
1: I go back to what I said two months ago. They'll hold them in contempt, put them in a jail cell and say, you can come out when you've put together fair maps, because that's the only way they're going to do it. And give them jail food while they're there so that they have to see what it's like. They're just, they've never operated in good faith. This is the governor of Ohio. Aw, shucks, me and Fran, Fran's recipes, and he is completely (laughs) subverting the Constitution so that he can keep his party in disproportionate power. This is on Mike DeWine. He is the statewide elected leader. Matt Huffman is elected by a tiny fraction of Ohioans. He's not the guy that should be in charge, and they keep deferring to him. To, to do exactly what Laura said, nefarious things. It's depressing as hell. I hope they get held in well, contempt. I but
2: hope. but here, we let's not forget about this legislative maneuver they're trying to do here, because there's a hearing tomorrow by the three-judge federal panel that the GOP activist suit, which is seeking to get the rejected maps restored, so they're going to try and convince this panel tomorrow to accept the map that was approved last night because it hasn't been rejected by the Ohio Supreme Court. Even right. though
3: it's almost exactly the same exactly. as the one the Supreme Court would dress. I mean, can't you just see them sitting in a hotel room, tw- like twirling their mustache? Like, I can
1: see them in orange jumpsuits in a jail cell. That's the, <laughs> that's the image I want. I want a picture of them in orange jumpsuits in a jail cell with two computers and a couple of guys drawing maps. Because what they've done is, is a disservice to all of Ohio.
3: Like you, They deserve to be booed by every, like stand up and just boo and throw tomatoes. This is just so disgusting.
1: Yeah, and
2: apparently yeah. at the hearing last night, there were there were activists, mm-hmm. you know, Democratic activists at the hearing last night that were like heckling the the Well, the they sent around commission. an email
3: at like nine o'clock last night that said, "Whatever you do, can you get to the state house? Get to the state house and show how mad you are?" Because they were just so uh, just flummoxed and flabbergasted by the turn of events.
1: You're listening to Today in Ohio. This is another good one. Is Cuyahoga County's Mental Health Board transparent in its work, or does it keep too much of what it does undisclosed from the public? Laura, this is less a story for me about their transparency than just how screwed up this Mental Health Board is. Their bickering over this tells me everything I need to know about why this agency is failing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Caitlin Durbin did a great job with this story and got a whole bunch of email records back and forth between board members, which, by the way, they're saying they didn't break any public records laws while they were having this discussion about transparency, which I find ironic. But anyway, they've had a very tumultuous couple of months. They've been under scrutiny for advocating to reimburse an employee's golf lessons as part of a health benefit. They were indecisive about whether racism is a public health crisis. And now they started in last month taking heat from health leaders and clean. Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer about whether it's right, you know, it's giving money to the right service providers. So some of the board members said, "Hey, let's be more transparent. Let's take this as a call to action and show people that we're doing a good job." But the the Reverend Benjamin Golston, who heads the board, took that as an indictment of their work and basically said, "No, we're not responding. We're not going to show anybody what we're doing." And this turned into a back and forth about whether they were doing enough how much they should be showing the community, whether they should be running metrics. And, and
1: whether they should defer to the order of their board chair, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The board chair has issued the edict that we not talk about this anymore. Right. The issue was is closed. Here's the thing. I mean, the, you mentioned the, the racism as a, as a public health issue. That one, was, when we talked about that, was mind boggling because mm-hmm. of the way they went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Their job is to spend millions and millions of dollars to help get people in distress treatment for addiction and mental health issues. And they're just bickering. This is a failure. Akron Butro stood up late last year in a county council meeting and said, they're terrible. They're doing a terrible job. We should take money away from them and put it with competent people that show results. And he took some flack for that because he didn't have, for, including from us, because he didn't have anything to back it up everything they've done since has given Akron butros the proof he needs these guys are not doing a good job so why do they have the millions and millions of dollars why do we have mental health go through this board instead of making it a government agency
3: i mean that's a very good question it's a 43 million dollar budget to be clear and Akron butros wanted at least 10 million dollars of that budget to go to the health system where they would use it for more programs i don't know if this is a statewide thing like the board of health where everybody has an alcohol mental health and drug board I mean,
1: well we're going to look we're going to go see how other states do it to see if they do it better because this is just not working akram butros was right everything they've done since has proven he's right this this story is great i mean caitlin did a great story laying it out and you just look at it and think really this is what you're going back and forth on in email when how many people are suffering from addiction and issues that need to be corrected so which was at the heart of what akram said he he said i want to see proof your programs are working. That's the transparency. And they're taking offense at us because they said if we get into a fight with the editorial board at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer, it could jeopardize the tax increase we won on the (laughs) ballot. Oh, right, for
3: 2024. It's not even anything we're voting on for another two years. I thought that was bizarre. I mean, there's one legit point where they're saying it's not like we can say people are cured of drug, alcohol, or mental health addiction problems, right? Like, you can't say that, and so they're afraid that people would think their work isn't good when it's a very long process. But then talk about that. All right,
1: forget the cured, though. If right. if I, if if people come in saying I'm addicted and I need treatment for it, and you put them into treatment, what is the outcome? Because the intended outcome is to help them deal with their addiction, and
0: we, you know it's it. That's what yeah, we're looking for. The cure for. cure well, is not the only metric that is being that that exactly. is yeah that th- plus there was a national organization that leveled the same criticism at them this isn't just from the plain dealer this isn't just from akram Boutros. they the, they have been kind of unilaterally criticized for not for not you know providing evidence of their efficacy and they 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 can't you can't just you know dismiss all that by being like well they're just looking for evidence that we cure these these diseases that are chronic and can't you know It's ridiculous, right? Like a mystery. I'm sure we could look across the country and find other, other, you know, agencies that do the same work that have very transparent, uh, you know, evidence of of the efficacy of the work they do.
1: I wonder, though, if in our organization, we, we should adopt that philosophy that if the top guy says something, you're not allowed to question it.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> <ow>! uh, <laughs> I'd argue we have mighty mighty policy on the board. <laughs> we talked about the Quinn specials, right? <laughs> uh,
1: all right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. I walked into that one. <laughs> what does Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb have in mind with his plan to launch a Center for Economic Recovery? Layla? So,
0: Bibb's idea for the Center for Economic Recovery is to create what will amount to an office made up of mostly non governmental types, strategic thinkers, he says, with deep expertise of federal resources to help determine Cleveland's spending priorities for the hundreds of millions of dollars in federal aid that the city has coming to it from the American Rescue Plan Act. And the city is expecting its second half of that $511 million in federal aid in June. The center would report to Bibb and his, tr- his chief strategy officer, Bradford Davy, but it would largely be staffed by non-city employees whose paychecks would be paid by philanthropic foundations, nonprofits, or other outside organizations. And the idea is that this team would be able to offer an objective process to determine the best and most effective use of this money, which has really transformational <laughs> capabilities, right?
1: Wait a minute, though. We just finished having a conversation about what happens when you delegate authority for spending money to a non-elected group of people. And it's kind of a disaster. It can be. We just elected We just elected Justin Bibb to be mayor of Cleveland, right? And he's got this whole administration and he has big ideas for where the city's going. Why does he need to create this formal thing? Why can't he just get a bunch of people together and do public budgeting? Well,
0: be, okay, well, first of all, Let's get in the time machine and go back to December and take a look at the total disaster that was the last you know the last attempt at trying to figure out what to do with this money. Remember you know Frank Jackson's people trying to decide and then you know the whole mutiny of city council putting together their own you know, separate committee that had meeting after meeting after meeting, and then finally came out and said, uh, yeah, what he said. (laughs) I mean, like, that was a total disaster. And nobody had any great ideas. And it all just turned into a mishmash. So and they acknowledge that even though the, the, you know, Council President Blaine Griffin said, like, well, we don't want to just abdicate our responsibility. But then they were all like, well, you know, it was kind of a mess last year. So so they're going to think about it. But but anyway, Back to how this is going to work. <laughs> Basically, the center would collect these proposals from the administration and the council and businesses and nonprofits and residents. They would vet them and evaluate the ideas and with an eye toward the broad systemic problems that Bib wants to prioritize. And then the center would use this objective criteria to score the proposals, and it's unclear what that looks like. But then the center would find ways to make the most out of the city's spending, so to leverage other federal money that might be available, perhaps from the federal infrastructure bill, for instance, or to figure out if other nonprofits or the business sector is willing to chip in. Can an idea be regionalized to pool resources or make it a bigger project that, you know, benefits the region? That's a great idea that nobody's talked about yet with this money. Finally... You know, the center would make spending recommendations to the mayor. So that's how it goes. And all of this is, you know, obviously has to be approved by council every step of the way. So that's how it works.
1: I'll feel a lot better when we have our new stimulus reporter in place (laughs) next month because this money has got to be watched. I have my intent up on this one will I mean yeah see.
0: Blaine Griffin doesn't like the idea of handing it all over to you know outside parties and that's it's good to be you know you don't want to just give it all away but again m-
1: but he's the one that's accountable to voters. These people that will be in this group won't be accountable to the voters. And we keep, that's what the county health department is. That's what the Adams board is. And those don't really work. Well, so. think of
0: how long we watched our elected leaders spin their tires in the mud last year over what to do with this money. And we made fun of them but, for months.
1: But we have new people that we elected with <laughs> the vision of
0: fixing Some everything. new people.
1: <laughs> All right. We gotta get, I want to I get okay. to the last question before we go. It's Today in Ohio. Sorry, I'm skipping a couple, but this is just too weird not to talk about. How has a Hudson native made a business called Parting Stone out of a new way to mourn the passing of loved ones? Layla, this one's yours too. I, I think this is creepy. Laura <laughs> thinks this is cool. I. I let's talk I'm about it. I'm in Camp it's
0: Creepy awesome. on this one. <laughs> oh, I think it's awesome. <laughs> so Parting Stone takes the ashes from cremation and turns them into 60 to 80 polished stones. Founder Justin Crow said the stones look a lot like the smooth white rocks that you'd skip across a river. The company was started in 2019 and its services are offered in about 300 funeral homes in the US and Canada. Parting Stone has worked with 3,000 families in the past couple years. He said the idea came to him when one of his grandfathers died in 2014. And when he was talking to his friends, he realized a lot of them were holding on to these urns and ashes and kept them in closets or basements and garages and had kind of been passing them down through the generations. And they were just, you know, kind of like emotionally attached to it. But what are you going to do with the urn? It's so awkward. And when Crow's second grandfather, who was a big supporter of his, had passed away, he knew that you know, his grandfather knew he'd become stones. And so some of his grandfather's stones now sit on his office desk and others are with family members. And so this is how it works. Parting Stone has a lab in Santa Fe. And when someone is cremated... You send about 10 cups of ashes there and the ashes are refined into a fine powder and it's water and a small additive are mixed in and they become clay-like. Then Crow said the stones are formed and put into a hot furnace and they come out almost like ceramics. And Crow said the stones are then polished and cleaned. The average person becomes about 65 to 80 stones and they're all very unique. Process costs about 700 bucks.
1: So what do you do, jiggle them in your hand, put them oh, in an aquarium
0: I mean, for the fish just to swim? Or toss them in the rock garden? <laughs> <I don't know.
1: laughs> well,
2: and for somebody, statter? you know, I, I had to stare at my grandma and Grandpa Garvin's ashes in a box in the closet of my old bedroom in Shaker Heights because my mother and father didn't know what to do with them. So, yeah, you do. And then do you pass the urn down to your kids? Here, here's Grandpa. You want him? You know. So, all right, so yeah. Lisa,
1: what would you do with the stones, same though. thing. Right? I, mean, I would,
2: I would put them. I would put them in my garden. I would put one on my desk, or maybe have one as a worry stone that I could, you know, hold in my hand and worry. But
0: yeah, I think that's a
2: wonderful I am idea.
3: So with Lisa, absolutely, you'd be holding on oh to goodness.
1: your dead relative's bones in your this, hands. This, in you know, stone. this
0: immediately reminded me of a story I wrote in the early two thousands about a company called Life Gem that compresses your loved one's ashes into a diamond or a gemstone. For the cost of about eight grand per half carat and that company is still around they're doing a lot of business and they will they will do you can prepay to have your whole family done <laughs> and your pets. Do. people I, do their pets a,
1: i guess you put them in the garden and mm-hmm. then they just well, kind of sink but
0: into people, the water just scatter people scatter,
3: scatter ashes, ashes
0: that's what you do with ashes
3: yeah, people scatter ashes all the time. So why couldn't you just skip stones in Lake Erie instead mm-hmm. of scattering ashes? Like I, I, it's a tactile thing, and you know the idea of burying someone in the ground is weird if you think about it too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of weird things we do with people when they die. But why not just skip, and scatter the ashes? I mean, why would you pay 700 <laughs> bucks for the stones to
0: skip them um, on Lake Erie when you could? I mean, I, I get I don't know. I sound really cold about this whole thing. <laughs>
1: It, it just, it, it just seemed strange to me. I, I, that, I was having a hard time embracing this one. So I'm glad we talked about it. It's Today in Ohio. We've gone long. Good conversations, though. Layla, you should have been on that debate stage yesterday because you'd have given it some fire. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back Wednesday with another discussion of the news.